Greetings, and welcome to the 80 Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for finding the time and joining me today on the, on the podcast. Before we kind of jump into it and start talking about like game design and games today and so on, uh, can you do like a little intro? Tell us a little bit about what have you been working before, uh, where you are right now, and so on. Sure. So I'm Troy Dunaway. Um, I am the department head and creator of the game design diploma program at CG Spectrum. And I've been making games now for almost 30 years. Um, I actually started movie visual effects and I spent five years um, doing special effects and then kind of transitioned. I wanted to do stuff that was a little bit more creative. And so I thought, hey, I want to get into games. And and so my first job was actually as an art director, you know, and doing art in games. But I wasn't in games for more than just a few weeks. And, and they saw a story I was writing. They said, oh, you should write the story for the game, too. And then. You know, a few weeks later, I was suddenly a game designer. I never really meant to become a game designer. I just, I've always been a bit of a jack of all trades and somebody that can do a lot of things. And so I kind of was lucky and I fell into it, but I also fell into it, you know, back in like 1992, 93, when, you know, there really wasn't even a job of game designer yet. There wasn't any books written. You couldn't pick up a book and say like, how to be a game designer. There was no schools. You know, you just had to learn it. And so I kind of came from that old school realm and you know and i i spent um a lot of my career uh, about half of my career at big publishers uh, microsoft and ea and um and ubisoft and let's see disney samsung all these big you know things at executive level um you know i was worldwide creative director you know at a lot of companies um so i've been both in the creative direction role as well as the management side you know being studio head and, and general manager type so I'm kind of one of those guys that came from the trenches, came from, you know, um, a technical and art background, went into game design and then went into management. And I kind of juggle all of those, you know, today. Um, but, you know, I've overseen, you know, a lot of um, big projects like Rainbow Six Vegas or, you know, the Age of Empires franchise, Command and Conquer, you know, things like that. Worked on the Ratchet and Clank um, series, um, Insomniac, you know, just a lot of really big games, um, everything from AAA shooters to RPGs um, like Fable to, you know, console, um, PC, mobile, and kind of just a little bit of everything. And so I'm somebody that's just kind of been in and around pretty much all aspects of the game development um, side, you know. And so, you know, for me, it's it's great because every day is a little different, but it's something that allows me to use my really vast set of interests and, and backgrounds. My degrees are actually in astrophysics and mechanical engineering, you know, and so I was actually a rocket scientist even before I went into visual effects. So I've always been somebody that just has a lot of interests and a lot of things and that, you know, the job of game designer I fell into and, you know, it's been a great career. Troy, thank you for this wonderful introduction. And I'm so happy to uh, learn that you're actually coming from the VFX community and everything, because we have a like, the core of our community are actually people who are doing visual effects and games and they're creating 3D content and simulation and all this stuff. So they are, I think, interested in how they can grow from there because you can, I mean, you can excel and grow at what you're doing, just doing like visual effects and 3D content and stuff, but there are other opportunities. And I think it's 
always beneficial to kind of know how you can develop and kind of grow in maybe a different area. And uh, the question I have is, you mentioned you were um, you were working with Max, you were like a rocket scientist. And uh, this is the question that we get a lot from people who want to go into game design. Is um, some of them might kind of read like the theory of fun, like the Raf Costner book, yeah. and be inspired to kind of go there. But when they try try it and they go, you know, to do an interview or something, um, they actually start to get a lot of questions about like how do you balance it out. They're getting questions about you know spreadsheets and uh, all that <laughs> other stuff. And I'm wondering if you can explain. So in in general, game design is this more art, or is this just mass, or is it just a combination? So, how do you kind of navigate this area, and do you actually need to be like a rocket scientist to start kind of getting into it? So, it's a tough question, you know, because there's a lot of different game designer jobs, right? There's a lot of different roles, and so you can come into game design, you know, with no background and just be somebody that's just interested in games and, and kind of be a generalist and just not sure. You know, if you're, you know, a kid coming out of high school or something and want to get into it, like you don't have to have a background in something to become a game designer. Um, but if you come in with art skills, technical skills or some other skills, it's a job that allows you to leverage those into a stronger role if you want to go into that subspecialty, if that makes sense. So I can explain that in a minute. Um, but a game designer is about being the master of fun. And that's what's the hard thing is it's an unquantifiable thing. We have to we have to kind of use. I like to say the art and the science behind it mean I need to use my head, but I need to use my heart, right? I need to use my gut. So my head is like the instinctual thing, like data collection. Like I, I look at something, I analyze it, I understand it, you know, from a, from a somewhat technical side. And I, I say technical, like even the science of psychology is used very deeply in game design. I use psychology every day, memory mapping theories, all these kinds of things. I use very deep psychology. I read a lot of psychology. So there's psychology as a science that's used in our art form, right? So as a game designer, we're often following our gut and our instinct, not realizing we're actually using methods in psychology that have been developed you know, for long periods of time. And that's where we get into these problems. It's every company is a little different. Like for example, Zynga, when they do game design, they're very analytical. They go and they focus test everything and everything's you know, user data and things like that. Other companies are like, yeah, there's a game designer there that's like, that feels fun to me. Right. And that's how we work. And so so you're kind of using a little bit of everything, but you've got to use like all these skills. And that's why the job's so hard. People think it's just playing video games all day. And it's not. It's very much like, hey, I got to, you know, um, today, you know, I'm trying to, you know, demonstrate how a level comes together. And I got to be drawing it out and I'm using some art skills. And I mean, I don't need to be an artist, but I need to have ways to 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 communicate visually and I need to be able to express to my team members. Now, the smaller the team gets, the more generalized I have to get. So on a really small team, I might need to build the art myself. I might need to do everything on a much larger team because remember like a lot of the big teams now are a thousand plus people, you know, whereas a small indie team could be 10 people, you know? And so the, the job of game designer varies dramatically depending on the size of team you're on and, and things like that. So, so you, you'll have to have more specific skills on smaller, more indie teams, you know, and more specific skills, you know, um, be the master of that one thing, you know, if you're on a really large team. And that's why, again, it's it's hard to know what skill set you need, but having a general understanding of everything is important. Now, from like uh, a technical perspective, I think that is something that's really hard if you don't have any knack for 
spreadsheets to you know even just scripting you don't need to be a programmer that's the misconception you do not need to know how to do c c plus plus you know and and the more hardcore engineering side of that but you do need to understand scripting like being able to do blueprints and unreal things like that that's you know, either visual language or text-based scripting like python or something that is a skill set that you do need to have so if you have no aptitude in like math you know and you don't like it game design is not a good fit for you because you know i i work just as much in excel writing crazy crazy spreadsheets with massive formulas and all sorts of stuff and that's you know very math driven but i also am like you know scripting stuff in unreal and that's very math driven and 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 even the way i work and i write documents is very logical if it's if you understand the the sense of like how something needs to flow and how you build things out you need that like engineering mindset of like how to analyze yeah, yeah, things yeah. and break them into systems yeah. right um yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of uh emphasize that that what you say when you're talking about logic i think this is like the key thing in game design in general right because yes. even if you're starting working on mind maps and if you're doing any kind of i mean you work with management right so you understand kind of how to work so when you understand that if something happens then something happens when you understand these connections then you kind of this is big actually is game design you just need to make them kind of grow into bigger systems and kind of develop from there yeah and it sounds really easy on paper and then when you actually go to try to do that as a working game designer it's like a thousand times harder than you realize because breaking things down in their systems and their what i call systemic thinking and be able to you know understand how they work within themselves but also how they work in conjunction with each other and it, that's where people start losing their minds because they're like I don't understand like how does the combat system over here interact with the health system interact with the movement system interacts with my level design you know all these are different systems that maybe different designers are implementing and you implement them individually or design them individually but they interact you know yeah. um, in conjunction and if you can't understand the logical kind of flow of those things and that kind of object-oriented programming that object-oriented thinking especially like emergent gameplay emergence all about like you don't put like say fire specifically on an object you build fire as a system and then fire can work on different types of objects and categories and things it's, yeah. a, it's a different way of thinking right and it's just it yeah, is yeah, logical yeah. and that's that's what it's all about right so troy you mentioned this like that game design is kind of like this melting pot of different things so you need to know a little bit of psychology you kind of need to think about level design you need to think about mass and you need to think about systems and all that stuff so my question is um after all games are about having fun like even if yep. it's like very complex and or maybe very simplistic narrative games it's still about having some fun so when do you uh, how do you kind of tackle and measure this when you understand that it's actually fun so i know that in mobile game companies you, you mentioned zynga like uh, and all the others they do pay a lot of attention to like counting and doing conversions and understanding it's figuring out how that's how many how much time does the player spend in the meta gameplay and the other and the, those circles they kind of twirl around and uh, to make sure that the user is always in the system and if you look at like companies like facebook they're basically doing uh, the same thing so they're kind of injecting yep. those endorphins and so on yep, but yep. how do you approach this like where where do you when do you understand that the game is actually fun to play and uh, is it like mechanics is it testing like when do you understand this it's to me, in my personal opinion, I think it's a balance of both. It has to be a little bit of my gut instinct, 
a little bit of a that doesn't feel right and that's that that's that unquantifiable thing that the, that's a little bit of experience it's yeah. a little bit of just me as a gamer and what i like and things like that so there's a there, there is a lot of that to it that that i do i think part of my job and why i'm good at what i do is i have good instincts and that's not true necessarily for everybody yeah. and so then they'll fall back on data collection but but if you if it's purely instinctual and i build just what i want that's not that's fun for me but is that fun for what my users want right and then is that fun for what the users in china want versus the users in germany versus the users in america who are all completely different markets right so if you're not even understanding what fun is in context of our today's worldwide markets like how do you design something that's fun because i'll put my own my own background ethnic spin on things of what i like as a white male versus you know what is somebody that's in another country who's female who's whatever wants right and so we have to be more aware of these things that fun again is this very subjective thing to ourselves that's why we have to be careful about it and as we collect data mm -hmm. and get opinions from people we do it as broadly as possible and that's where focus groups and focus testing and things like that become a bridge to kind of understand you know what different markets want so we can try to validate our opinions and our gut instinct through focus tests and stuff like that then as we implement a little bit farther along then we can start to collect data and use that data to try to validate you know our stuff and then tweak it um and then occasionally walk away from it and we're crazy like yep i was stupid i'm a dumbass like i i gotta move on <laughs> you know that was a bad idea and and being you know willing to walk away from bad ideas or completely throw them out and change them because we do make a lot of mistakes as game designers and that's just part of what we do you know and that's it because there is kind of a lot of magic to it you know and that's the that's that thing that's hard and that's why the job like i said and even dealing with executives it's hard because again like if you're an artist and an executive might be like yeah it's okay but most most executives are not going to give you a very strong opinion on the art if it's good or bad they're definitely not going to look at your code and tell a programmer if it if it's bad coding but everybody is going to look at your, at your game design and tell you how to do your job you know because everybody has an opinion on what fun is you know and everybody's opinion is different and that's so you have to build thick skin even as a designer and know how to stand up for your ideas and communicate that communication mm -hmm. is like 80 percent of our job you have the soft skills you can't understand you know underestimate like how much you need to be a great communicator as a game designer we don't sit in a room and work on our computer all day we are we are mm -hmm. out in the middle of everything constantly talking to everybody and trying to make this work so it looks pretty it's fun it's functional it works with engineering it works with our game engine you know it's fun we keep adjusting everything constantly and we're just always that social butterfly within the team that you know that part's critical but part of that is, while we're doing that is getting everybody's opinions right and we're we're building mm -hmm. the consensus with our own team as well and getting outside of ourselves so all right so let's talk a little bit about how we can teach people these skills like you mentioned a lot of different things right now and how do you teach them in the, the game designer diploma course that you're teaching with cg spectrum so what are like the maybe the core things that you approach there what are the directions that you're taking and what um are the like the main building blocks that you're kind of building real game designers from it's tough i i went through a lot of you know self-reflection and analysis and various things when i was developing this program because it's not an easy question like how do you teach somebody what i've learned in 30 years like how do i teach you in a year or what i know right that's almost impossible um, and a lot of it, again, is very instinctual and, and things. But in my opinion, I start with a lot of foundation of, to your point of like, how do we talk? I'm sorry, how, how do we think logically? So a lot of my program, whether the students realize it or not, 
is about teaching them to think, teaching them to analyze, teaching them to understand and think about things and systems and therefore breaking things down. Because if you just jump into something, right, you're going to get lost. It's so big. It's so complicated. You will be overwhelmed and you'll just, you, you'll, you'll flail around um, versus when you break things down into pieces and you think about things, you analyze things, and you think about stuff logically, then suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I don't have to tackle the whole puzzle at once. I can do this one little section, then this one little section bring together. So it's that critical thinking skill is the first and foremost thing that I'm really trying to get them to, to understand. The second is process. So that's kind of related. But what I find is the, the secret, in my opinion, to big companies, Microsoft, your EAs, Sony, people like that, the reason they've had so, like success after success, not always 100%, but they, they have a much higher track rate of success than most other teams. The reason they, they do that is for their process. They understand there's a process to making games in the same way movies and everything else, right? You, you go about them in a certain way. You don't just jump in and say, hey, we're making a game today. And let's just sit down and start coding stuff. Like, that's not how we make games. We make games, you know, by designing them, you know, breaking them down, understanding the competition, you know, and breaking, you know, writing documents, you know, and then, you know, slowly building and testing things and stuff. So understanding that process and how to like write design documents and pitch decks and things like that is the is the first foundational thing. And some teams don't don't do that. But if you don't understand that the logic of that process, it's not teaching you how to think and how to analyze a problem. So for example, in like level design, people I see this every day as students and even just critical even just professional designers will just jump in and then they start building something on Unreal. You're like, what are you building? Oh, I'm building a level. I'm like, what what level? What's in the level? Like what you know, what weapons are gonna go there? What enemies are there? What oh we'll figure it out later. Well we're, I'm just building the level and it's gonna be fun. And you're like but what's in the level? Like, you know, and they, they don't think through, they just start, you know, it's like writing a book and starting with page one, paragraph one, once upon a time, blah, blah, blah. And trying to write a book that way by the like 10th page, you're like, what happens next? I don't know. I haven't planned it out. I'm just sort of making things up. And then I realize I made mistakes and I go back or like trying to build a house without a floor plan. Yeah. You'll eventually build a house, but it's going to cost you a lot more money. It's going to be a lot harder. Right. So you've got to learn how to plan. You've got to learn how to build and design. Mm -hmm. And that design thinking is really, you know, an important part. To me, tools are just tools. And so I had to make a conscious choice. I can't teach everything in this year in this program. And so while we do teach you some of the fundamentals of Unreal, we do, you know, we, we kind of make that as like Unreal is part of the course and you're building things in it, but you're using a lot of third party, like you know, epic, you know, tutorials and things like that. I don't spend my time trying to teach you how to push buttons because you know, I can teach you Unreal and your first job is going to be inevitably in Unity or it's going to be in another engine. Like engines are just engines, right? And, and Photoshop is just a tool as well as anything else. It, so tools are going to constantly change and evolve. I don't need to teach you tools. You got to learn how to, to learn your own tools. I need to teach you how to make fun. You know, that's that's the unquantifiable that you don't easily go read a book and learn about, right? And so that the program is really here to mm -hmm. foundationally teach you you know, what is a great game, you know, how to respect your users, you know, and how to build something that they want, you know, and how to get to that thing and, you know, and how to iterate on your ideas and stuff like that. And so that's really where we're focused. That um, doesn't mean you're not going to learn tools, in the, in it, but you're going to learn tools through the process of doing things, not just a class of like, okay, here's this button. And this is what this does, right? It's, it's yeah. really in the context of actually building real world projects. And so through the course of our program, you'll, you'll actually build three small game prototypes and things mm -hmm. in Unreal and things like that. So you'll learn a lot just in building those those three prototypes. Troy, I have a question kind of um, kind of related to that. I think you described like a, a very interesting case with the level design and uh, the smaller things, like the, the, the small assignments, small assignments that you can do. So 
I I never tire of this example, but when when you mentioned this about the level design thing, I always think about Nintendo and how they're doing the Mario games. Mm-hmm. And when they're starting on the Mario games, be that Mario Odyssey or like the older titles, they they first invent uh, the mechanics. So yeah. what what the guy is going to do? Is he gonna jump on a hat? Or you're gonna shoot like fireballs or whatever, whatever is there, and then as they re- introduce new and new mechanics into the game, they kind of build the levels around them, and that's why whenever you start like a new level in Mario or somewhere, it's always new. Like you're always kind of you know constant journey. You're constantly developing and, and growing there. So, can you talk with us a little bit about how? do you teach your students to think about these mechanics like how do you figure out what the what the action is is it like a you know how do you build something around jumping or how do you build something about whatever right how do you work on this how do you iterate and uh, how do you kind of grow into a game from that mechanic or the process that you're introducing to the user so for me what i find is most important is because games have evolved so much in the last 20 years, we they're more known. Like, you know, we, we understand more how to build a Mario game or how to build a first-person shooter, things like that. And that, and so a lot of those problems have kind of been quote-unquote solved. And so I try to get them to start with like, what's new, what's unique, what's original. And whereas Mario would start with like, how do I jump? And they would just polish like that, the, the jump till for months, right? Just getting jump perfect. And then they'd move on to double jump. And then they'd move on to, you know, they'd get each of those things done. And that's that's a totally valid way to go, but you also have to kind of think about you know it's it's a bit more of an agile methodology. And you know, and again, some teams work that way where it's just like let's get all the little things done. But the problem is if you don't understand what the core game experience is, then how does jump fit into the other things? You know, and is, is jump going to have an attack on it? And is jump going to have you know something else on it? And it, you know, do I have a, a wall bounce off of that? You know, and so you you could waste a lot of time perfecting jump and then realizing like oh wait now jump's got to be modified. A bunch of ways and so so i try to get them to think holistically about everything kind of at once a little bit and so uh-huh. don't deep dive into anything um too deeply you have to be really careful about all the system mechanics and that also includes the world building and the world design and the story you know and so i like i like to do a, a quick pass on the mechanics and then think about you know that it might be a pre-existing world you might have star wars or something that you got to fit that into and then or you might be building a new universe but you got to do a little bit of world building as well to say like does these, do these mechanics fit with my character, with my Makes levels, sense. my world, and then kind of go back and forth with those a little bit. So at that mile high level, like, you know, a feature might only be defined in, you know, a half a page or a quarter page or a couple bullet points. It, it doesn't need to be a deep, full design. You're just kind of giving a high level of what it is. And then do these things all fit together? Does the pieces kind of fit? You don't need to know they perfectly fit, but you got to kind of say like, okay, is this going to kind of edge towards the right way? And then you keep refining them over and over until they finally like, okay, now they fit. And um, by doing that, you make sure that you focus more on what's innovative, what's new, what's unique. It's what I call the pillars of the game. And so I, I, you know, want the kids to have, you know, three to five pillars that they can sell, you know, to, you know, ultimately you would be selling that to the consumer. But even, even if you're selling your idea to the CEO or the lead game designer or whoever that is, somebody above you has to buy off on, you know, do you want to make this game? And if you have more than three to five things that are new and unique, you're doing too much. You know, if you only have one thing, you're probably not doing it now, right? And so, so it's about like defining those things first versus to me working on jump because those are the risks. Those three to five things, if you can't get those right, you might as well walk away now, right? If those aren't fun, 
you know, like I've had people pitch ideas where they're like, what if you had a tornado in the game? This thing could go all around. I'm like, cool. Yeah. So what do you do with the tornado? Well, I don't know. There's just a tornado and it's fun. Like, come back to me when I understand what does the tornado mean in the game? You know, that's, that's not the game. Like that's an element mm-hmm. out of the game, but that's not the game. Right. And so, so those are the kinds of things where you have to understand those, those things. But if it's just, I, I see this all the time from a lot of people, they think, well, I can take call of duty. I'll put a new story on it. I'll set it in, you know, Vietnam or wherever, some new location, or I'll fast forward 50 years. And that's the game. I'm like, so you're going to reuse hundred percent of all the gameplay mechanics out of call of duty. Like, no, like, you know, they're just going to go play call of duty. Like what are you going to do to make a better game? What are you going to do to make the user experience? Why is somebody going to give you $60 or whatever to buy this game? And yeah, I, I, th- I think right? this is like a very, very interesting and a uh, very wise approach. Actually, it's very, it very ties down to the, even how you do business, right? So if it's like, if you don't have a competitive advantage, like, how do you how are you gonna survive like and if you don't yeah. know if this is gonna relate to your customer like why are we even doing this and i guess it kind of all ties down to like the design document that you mentioned before mm-hmm. and this is the kind of artifact artifact that i know a lot of people are kind of neglecting building yeah. because uh, a, a lot of them first of all they don't know really what, what should go in there right so because you don't really go online and you you know find some kind of like a template or something but maybe you can give some recommendations or uh, maybe some examples of good design documents and what should be in that uh, It Should be like a lot of uh, spreadsheets with stats. Should it be like your monetization technique? Should it be, uh, you know, introduction into your world or maybe all of those things? Like what is included in the document? Yeah, ultimately it's everything. It's a, it's a, I call them a living document, right? So they're, they're design documents are never done. You never say like, Hey guys, here's 500 pages, go build this. Like that's the, that's not a smart way to work, right? That, that is an old school way. And you might in the end have 500 pages, but it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. Right. And so everything has to someday at some time eventually be done how to make a, and how to be a great game designer is, is knowing when to work on what and when and how and why. Right. So, and like, how much detail do you put into something? Because I've seen teams literally go spend three or four months just working on the story and they'll just like get this amazing story. And I'm like, well, what's the game? Well, I don't know. We'll figure that out later. I'm like, yeah. And you're going to throw away your story and you're going to start your story over once you figure out what the game mechanics are, you know, and that kind of thing. So writing the, at some point that GDD needs the whole story in it. It just doesn't need it in there day one. So the real trick there is not getting intimidated by, oh, I've got to write 100 pages or 500 pages or whatever. It's about how much do I need today to keep my team working, you know, and to make sure that, that we're heading in the general right direction that I can course correct a little bit as I go and, and as I implement things and actually touch it and feel it to see if it's fun. That's really the key to success because it ultimately is going to be everything. I mean, that's the thing is if you play a game, every single little teeny teeny tiny detail in that somebody thought about somebody designed somebody had a conscious thought of like what color is that pixel what is he wearing here how fast is he moving you know like every one of those little teeny teeny tiny details and there's millions of them like somebody somewhere had to decide on that right and then if that decision cannot get related to your team to be properly implemented then you're in trouble right and it doesn't mean that it's going to be implemented perfectly but you got to implement it close enough that you and that's where like prototyping, rapid prototyping, things like that. You got to know like, okay, is this risky? Like, is this something new and innovative that we've never done before? Yeah. Okay, then let's let's figure this out first before we you know get in trouble. Um, but if this is like jumping, 
look, okay, we've done that a thousand times. I don't need to prove that I can get jumping working, but if it's some time travel, weird, you know, dimensional shift, mm -hmm. you know, effect that's going to, you know, whatever, you know, that nobody's ever done before, I better do that first, right? You know, and, and also set a limit to that so that I don't spend a year trying to get that done out of, yeah. you know, spend 12 months of my 18 months just getting that one feature trying to work and I've still got a thousand other features to implement. I've seen teams fail for doing that too. They get so obsessed with trying to get that one thing working, they literally just let the rest of the game, you know, suffer and then they get, in, you know, in trouble and either canceled or delayed, you know, because they didn't, you know. So that's that, that agile methodology process is good and bad um, because you can spin and spin and spin and spin on one thing forever and not realize you got to move forward, right? And that's the... That's the yeah. challenge with game design is knowing when to walk away from something. And so that design document process is that is the core of that problem, right? It's just, uh -huh. it's really easy to over-design too much on paper and knowing when to go from paper to engineering it, you know, and building it is really a fine line that you that takes a little bit of experience to kind of go, but every game's a little different. But I, again, it's about get what's core first and get what's special, those pillars and stuff, get all that figured out and get all that bought off and then, you know, figure out what the fat is. And so even things on like a game design document, I tell people like, look, build in fat, build in stuff, but know what your core center is. This cannot change. This has to be the game, but you've got some extra stuff here. And then if time runs out or whatever, you can start cutting some of that fat without like destroying your game. And so your game design document gets even more complicated because you've got to be able to like let people know like what's important, like what do we need to implement first and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, unless you've been doing, and even me doing this, 25, 30 years, like it's still hard. I mean, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not because also the problem is the technology and the, and the platforms change every day, right? And so we have to like constantly reinvent the wheel. And so even if we have a good example is Ratchet and Clank. So on Insomniac, when we were working on PS2 Ratchet and Clanks, we could build levels very quickly. Like we had the process down, we had the pipeline down, we had the tools, we had everything. And on PS2, like we could build levels really fast. And so we could literally, we didn't have to do a lot of paper design. We'd already done it, you know, five times or whatever. And we, we could build levels just incredibly fast. So we just jumped in a lot of times without doing a lot of paper design. But when we came to the PS3, the, the technology had advanced so much from PS2 to PS3 that what, you know, a process that used to take weeks suddenly took many months, like six months. So it went from just like three weeks to six months in a, in a process difference just because the technology was so different you know, and the, and the fidelity and the quality. And so every time we have these generational hardware platform le leaps, it, it, we have to almost rethink our, our pipelines, our processes and how we work. And that's that's one of the biggest challenges is as soon as we get comfortable, it all changes, you know? And so as soon as we figure it out, we gotta, we gotta change it again. And that's the, yeah. that's one of the banes of a game designer's, you know, um, job. You, you mentioned a couple of times during the conversation, the agile methodologies and how you were kind of like, evangelizing them and uh, introducing them to their students. Um, why do you think they work so well for uh, game design and for games in general? It feels like, uh, I mean, if, if anyone listening, I mean, it, it goal goes into like the safe methodologies and like any development, the software development. And the, the core idea there is that you build something and then you test it and then you build around it, you either fix it or you build the next one. And it's just like the constant delivery and constant development and constant discovery of whatever your your player or the final consumer wants, right? So do you think they work, uh, these methodologies, they work better in games now than let's say Waterfall when somebody comes and says, I wanna build a game like 
like you mentioned, like Call of Duty, but in sci-fi setting and uh, so on and so forth, or maybe they open up new opportunities to kind of prototype more and to get more ideas out. Where well, do you think, what do you think they are better? It, it's hard because I think that if you look at agile methodology in its purest form from where it originated at Microsoft, you know, back when, um, it didn't take into account the complexities of something like games. And so games can, um, they're, they're definitely their own beasts. And so while many of the agile- <laughs> they're, they're even harder. They're, they're yes. even harder. Yeah, yeah extre extremely hard. And so, so people who don't understand agile you know, and how to adapt it to games fail quite often. I, I've worked with a lot of teams that try to use agile and they call it agile, you know, and it might've been agile in its purest form, but it really, they didn't adapt it in the right way to make games. And so I think that's the mistake. You really need to look at your process. It's not about agile or waterfall, but about that methodology, what works right for you, your team, your project, your company, and, and two teams and two at the same company might want to work a little different. Right. And, your team size has a lot to do with it. Like a, a, a bigger team needs more process. A bigger team needs more stuff, you know, and it's going to have more people doing the same things. And so a waterfall methodology might be being used, say, by the art team. Um, whereas like, so like with my art teams, I run them with a more agile methodology up through prototyping. And then I switch them into a, a waterfall methodology. So I use hybrid methods there because, again, once I figured out that first thing and I just said, okay, I need a thousand more, then that's where waterfall is great. Right. Yeah. But can I design it all into a 500 page document and then say, here, go build all this in a waterfall model? Eh, not always. Occasionally, like if it's a sequel, if it's a game we've done a couple of, if it's things like that, we might know a lot more information and be able to use a little bit more of a waterfall methodology. Mm -hmm. OK, um, but I'm just a big believer in figuring out what works for you. You know, but I do think that our industry is suffering right now and that we don't have good tools on a project management side. You know, and even on a scheduling side, I think that's a huge. I've actually thought about doing a company to to do that, but it it it's not cost effective. I mean, it's not lucrative. It's something we could monetize. There's not. It's not. The industry's not big enough. Not not enough people willing to change that, that. We couldn't make enough money to do it. But but I do think there's a huge hole in our industry right now about the software tools used and the methodologies used, and how do we track all that stuff, and how do we do that. It's not, it goes beyond just scheduling. There's, there's a lot more complications about project management and managing the processes there that are, that are driving a lot of teams crazy right now. And so there, there's no, I've never seen two teams run the same way. <laughs> it just, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's all over the place. And as well as in VFX, actually, it's the same, the same kind of problem because they do have a lot of iterations and there is a lot of things changing and there's like creative vision and all that stuff. And it all influences the, Time of delivery and all that stuff, but um, sorry, I kind of digress. So, that's right. <laughs> in 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 your opinion, like in in your head, like who who is the like game design diploma for? Like who's the your the who who do you want to kind of address with this uh, you know product education, whatever you call it? Like who is the person who's going to benefit most? Well, anybody that's just interested in getting a job either as a game system designer or a game level designer. And that's really the two primary jobs that I focus on. Um, and they are related, uh, meaning, you know, if you don't understand how to jump in the mechanics, it's hard to build levels. And if you don't understand, you know, if you're a level designer and you don't understand things that they both kind of need to have a little bit of knowledge of themselves, even though the jobs are very different. Um, those are the two main things that I teach. There's, there's dozens of other jobs that you could 
potentially go get like a narrative designer or whatever that that have some other specialties um, in there. But it really is looking to teach people who want to do entry level, you know, game design stuff. Um, we are focused on teaching you how to build games um, at AAA studios. Um, and so we are really focused, you know, a lot of our mentors, we got an amazing set of mentors on our, on our team and all of them come from big studios. We got a lot of guys from Ubisoft and EA and other companies that, you know, have phenomenal track records. And so we are really focused on teaching you how to build big AAA games. Now, that being said, I've had a number of students come through that want to do indie games, want to build their own games and do, you know, do that own stuff. And we do support people that have their dreams and, you know, and have the other stuff. And I've worked with people that are literally building their own mobile game while we're in the course. And they've actually even released them commercially during the course, you know, so we have kind of all, you know, all walks of life, you know, people, we have people that are coming in fresh out of high school and I've got people retraining at 40, you know, that are coming out of a, another career in a completely different industry, you know, and, and just are interested in games. And so the, the, the program will adapt to no matter what your skill set is. Um, we've even had um, a couple of guys that came from the mobile game industry. Um, also, we're PC console focused. Um, we do a little bit of mobile, but not not lot, not a lot right now. And we're really just decided to focus on PC console and using Unreal. And um, so I've had a couple of guys that were in and um, working three to five years in mobile game design and actually tried to get a job on PC console and couldn't because they're such different worlds. PC and there there are literally two different jobs, you know, even going from mobile to PC console. And they've now come and taken the course just to learn PC console design. And now, even though they had been working as a professional designer, they didn't have the skill set to go to PC console. So it's it's that's the challenge of this industry. Even say you're a first person shooter designer, like try to go over and design a real time strategy game. You can't do it. Like the the foundation's kind of there, but it, they're totally. It's like you know yeah. learning French and German. You know, like they're kind of related, but you know a lot of different rules, right? Um, so there's a lot of that foundation of these things that are very similar. Um, but when you really get down to like, how do you really design this thing? It's tough. And so we're also focused on, on teaching more mainstream, um, game genres, you know, action, adventure, role-playing, you know, things like that, um, that you would build. We don't really get into strategy games and, you know, puzzle games, and a lot of those other hundred other genres, sports games and stuff, because it's just too much. I try to teach. So what's more mainstream and what's got the best chance of getting you a job. That's what, that's mm -hmm, what we focus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a lot while we are wrapping up this thing so when does the course start how how can you apply do you need to go through some kind of like uh evaluation before it and uh that kind of stuff or you just apply and click the link of this yeah there's no um there's no um we don't need to have a portfolio or anything like that yeah. we take everybody um we've learned to work with again whether you have absolutely no previous experience or skills or anything all the way to people that have been working professionally. We've got all ranges and they all have been successful in the program. So that's not a problem for us. It's not quite the same as say being an artist where you might need to know how to draw before you go into a 3D modeling class or something like that. We start with more foundational you know, stuff there. Um, the course starts every month. Um, so we have intakes to the first of every month. And then um, you can just go to cgspectrum.com and you know you can sign up there. And if you have you know questions, there's a there's a, um, info at cgspectrum.com email that you can email and, and um, you know, our admin, you know, people can help you through. And in a lot of cases, I talk to people and they're not sure if they should be a game designer or game programmer or what they want to be when they grow up, you know, kind of thing. And so we, we try to help you through that process of understanding what's right for you. Um, we do have courses in game programming and other things as well. And we actually have had, I would say, 
I don't know the exact number. I'd say it's 40% of our students or more have um, finished even the game design course and stayed in CG Spectrum for another year or more. And they're they're now taking 3D modeling or taking programming or taking you know other things because they've realized that even, even a year of game design just kind of barely gets you prepared. It barely, it's a crash course. And, and something to know too is the course is 20 hours a week minimum. Like, and the, and the people that are failing now is there's some students that come in and they spend one to three hours a week on the course and they fail and they don't know why. And it's like, well, I told you it's 20 hours a week. And so the, the course right now, you have like three to five hours a week of videos to watch, which is me rambling on like I'm doing now, you know, endlessly um, as a classroom experience, right? And you, there are videos you can watch and rewatch and rewind. It's, so to me, it's a much better than watching a live person because you can really, you know, digest it. And then you spend about 15 hours a week doing assignments and, you know, and things like that. But you really got to put the effort in to be a game designer. It's not easy. And if you're going to put in the minimal, then I tell people, don't do it. You know, if your heart's not in it, if you're busy working and other stuff, I understand. But, you know, you really got to put in 15 to 20 hours a week. And a lot of our students are putting in 40. You know, it really is a super intensive course. But even in that, in a year, it's just like, you know, it's like trying to be a, a doctor in a year. I mean, it's just, you can kind of learn those basics, but it really, really, I can't under, underestimate, you know, how hard this course, you know, how hard just the job is, right? And so, so it, you will benefit if you can go take some additional classes and things like that. But, but at the end of this course, you would be potentially at least able to go. I have had, you know, a number of students now have graduated and gone and gotten jobs. So it's not impossible, but it's the, it's the students that are putting in those 20 or 30 hours a week and really highly motivated they're the ones getting jobs, you know, coming out of this because it really, you know, so if you want to, if you want to learn, you want to be serious, it, you can get a job out of it. If you're going to do it halfway, you probably won't. So that's the, that's the harsh reality. I, I got it. Okay. Well, Troy, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for uh, telling a little bit about the course and about your career, about all the stuff and gameplay. I could talk about this like for hours and hours, <laughs> but I know that you probably have other stuff to do. So thank you so much. And I will, we will yeah, add the links in the description. So people can uh, jump on and uh, register and uh, learn and also more. Also, my live stream, if you point them to that on YouTube, there's over 50 hours, or sorry, 100 hours now of, um, there's 50 episodes now, 52 episodes at two hours each. So there's over 100 mm -hmm. hours of content of me jabbering on, on YouTube. And then, you know, all the other mentors have it. So I think we have like 1,000 hours now on YouTube of content. But I have whole, like, two hour long conversations just on like every job, you know, everything that's related to like how to get a job and all that kind of stuff. It's all up on my YouTube channel, you know, for the CG spectrum um, channel and YouTube. So, and, you know, if you want to put a link to that, that would be great as well. And that's, that would absolutely. be kind of the next place to look if people still have questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, hope to see you soon again. Yeah. All anytime. Right. Happy to do this. All right. Thank you. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP. And share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.